joined by Andy Singer. Hey, EJ. How we doing? Andy, I am doing wonderful. We haven't recorded an episode in two weeks. I was out traveling, uh, and uh, and nothing's happened. So, uh, you know, I thought we were going to do an emergency podcast between now and then. We didn't. Uh, but today, we have two trades to talk about, just monumental trades. Uh, and then uh, we're going to talk a little bit about spring training. Spring training is now winding down. We will have another episode this week, the day before opening day. So we're going to record Wednesday night. Uh, and that episode will uh, kind of do a season preview. So we're going to do all that right there. But uh, I don't know. Spring is spring is almost over. It feels a little weird. It feels a little short because and, and it, it was. And uh, and we're about to get real games pretty darn soon. But first, we have to talk about the trades. One just happened, I'm going to say, five minutes before we started recording this podcast. And so, Andy, I, I just told you the trade happened. You were unaware about 15 seconds ago. The Yankees have acquired relief pitcher, not not second baseman, Miguel Castro from the New York Mets for Joely Rodriguez. What's going on here? Well, it's absolutely earth-shattering. It totally <laughs> I mean, honestly, my projections for the Yankees this season are altered by at least 6 wins based on this single trade. It's what Yankee fans hope for. Okay, I'll stop. (laughs) Um, But Joely Rodriguez, this uh, spring training, uh, if anybody's been following it, uh, he's had a lot of trouble with his velocity thus far. He's he's really throwing with a lot of effort to get over 90 miles per hour, uh, despite the fact that he pitched really well for the Yankees last year, and it looked like he was pretty close to a shoe-in for the Yankee bullpen. It started to not look that way over the last couple of days. So in... Miguel Castro, uh, the Yankees have acquired somebody who I think fits the profile of the type of guys they've been picking up in the last uh, couple of, let's call it nine months. I would put him in the Clay Holmes mode, somebody who's got a really hard sinker, slider, change-up combination, out of the bullpen, throws really hard, but still manages to pick up a lot of strikeouts with that sinker. So he struck out 13.9 batters, uh, per appearance in 2020. He was at 9.9 in 2021. Most of the time, the ERAs don't necessarily match the peripherals, but he's a nice, he's a nice arm to add to the bullpen and somebody who throws hard and is still just 27 years old. And if this bullpen had a strength before this trade, it was, you know, kind of lefties in the middle, right? You had Wandy Peralta, you had Lucas Lukey, you have obviously Raldis Chapman uh, closing. And so it felt like they had an extra, an extra lefty. Um, so, you know, I think, I, you know, if, if Miguel Castro can, can do what you think he is, if Matt Blake you know, in, in the four days he has left of spring training can, uh, can kind of turn that, that sinker into kind of the deadly sinker that we've seen, or you can do that throughout the season. Um, you know, I, you look at his baseball savant page and there's interesting stuff here. Uh, one is his control is awful. He has, he is the third percentile in, in, uh, in, in, in control and walk rate. So he's one of the worst control relievers in the game, which I'm sure is going to, going to be frustrating. The hope, I think, might be that if he walks a guy, you can get a double play out of that sinker. Um, but he gets really weak contact. Um, he's really good at preventing people from barreling up. Uh, he has a fairly average expected ERA. So there, there's room for, for improvement right there. Um let me ask you a question. If the if the choice was between giving away Joely Rodriguez for free or getting Miguel Castro, which would which would which would you have picked? 
I'd want Miguel Castro. I think he's I think he's a better fit than Joely Rodriguez. It's always better to have more arms than less arms. Let's put it that way. Um, and I think the peripherals are really really interesting. Even for a sinker ball guy, his fastball spin rates above the median. So I think he's somebody who can mix and match a four seamer and a and a sinker to good affect. If he can come anywhere within striking distance of the plate. I think he's an interesting guy. He also doesn't allow a lot of hard contact, and you could see a world in which he pounds the bottom of the zone with sinkers and change-ups and gets a lot of ground balls with an improved Yankee defense. He just seems to fit what the Yankees are going for right now. So yeah, I'd rather have him than Joely Rodriguez, who's struggling with fastball velocity. See, I wonder if this is a different conversation if there's not a 28-man roster for to start the season, because the Yankees are going to carry 16 pitchers to start start the season. And they got a lot of guys who are going to be sitting at AAA who I think could be better than Miguel Castro. I, I wonder if, you know, you know Ronnie Mar- uh, you know, uh, Manaccio is just kind of elbowed off the roster uh, as a result of, of this trade. Um, you know, it's nice to have the depth, right? So someone's going to get injured. You, 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 can, you have a chance to call up someone like Marinaccio probably pretty, pretty early in the season. The Yankees don't have a lot of players with options that they're going to send up and down. they got Luis Heel probably starting the roster. Michael King, who's probably going to start on the roster, who have options. But, you, you know, uh, Miguel Castro doesn't. Um, I, 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 wonder, I, I wonder if the team's approach, this is kind of a mutual salary dump in, in, in this way. That, the, you know, neither are getting paid a ton of money, but they're getting paid, you know, you know more than $2 million each. Um, I don't know. I'm a little less less optimistic about this than you, but, you know, he's a middle reliever. What's the worst? The, 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 the upside is Clay Holmes. The, the downside is he gets DFA'd in a month. Exactly. I don't think he blocks a guy like Marinaccio if Marinaccio comes out and has another, you know, 40% strikeout rate at AAA. I don't think he blocks a guy like that from coming up. So I see it as no harm, no foul, and he's another good arm for the early years, for the early season. All right. Other trade, bigger trade, sort of. Uh, The Yankees acquired catcher Jose Trevino from the Texas Rangers in return for Albert Abreu and Robert Alstrom. What do you think of this trade? Yeah, this one's interesting. I think that tells you that the Yankees don't feel really good about Rob Brantley because uh, Ben Rorvet, uh, or Benny Biceps as I've been calling him around around my household, uh, he's he's a guy who's been banged up all spring training. He's got a pulled oblique. The Yankees really haven't seen a lot of him, and it's probably best that he starts the season on the IL just to make sure he gets some reps and gets himself healthy. So the Yankees went out and acquired a guy who's got some really nice defensive metrics behind the plate, doesn't hit a ton, but he's a professional catcher with experience, and I think the Yankees are showing that they have more comfort with a guy like that than they do with Rob Brantley as the third catcher. It's interesting because I don't I don't see them sending Trevino down when Wardfett gets gets healthy. Um I mean, Trevino has been a, you know, you said he's been a professional major league catcher. He got 400 play appearances last year. He was worth more than replacement level, though, even with a really great defense, not worth that much more than, than replacement level. Um, is he better than Higashioka? No, uh, I don't <laughs> think so. I, I don't think so, because I think at least Higgy, even though... He really, Higgy really doesn't make a lot of contact, or at least he hasn't in his major league career thus far. He still has plus raw power and above average game power. So I think he at least has one carrying tool at the plate in addition to solid defense, which uh, Trevino really doesn't have at the plate. He doesn't make exceptional amounts of contact. He doesn't have even average raw power. So 
and about the same defensive profile, although maybe uh, Trevino's a slightly better thrower than Higgy is, although he didn't throw very well last year or the year prior. So I, I see it as a wash. I think Higgy's the starter, and I think Trevino's the backup. But again, I, I just think they that the Yankees didn't trust uh, Brantley, and obviously they weren't willing to keep Abreu if they couldn't use him as the guy they send up and down 25 times when he's out of options. Yeah, I mean, the context is like, this is a free trade, right? I mean, it, Albert Abreu was, was a highly likely DFA candidate at some point soon. Um, and I've never even heard of the other guy that they sent for him. So, you know, I, I my, my bigger concern here is that I think Robert Vetton might have some potential and I just don't see a spot for him on the roster anytime soon. I mean, I think it takes an injury or someone just playing horribly for Ward Vet to to hit the major league roster. It's interesting here because you know Jose Trevino is a is a solid strong backup like Higashioka. Um, they were both worth point point uh, six WAR last season. Uh, you have a little bit more playing time from Trevino, so Higashioka, like you said, he he runs into one every once in a while, or in spring training he runs into one twice a day. And, uh, and and that's that's the player you get. Whereas Trevino is never going to run into one. A little bit more solid on like contact, so he, you know he's going to be a little less bad on the downside. Uh, and then a, a, a slightly better defensive player. Um, I don't know. It, it's it's strange. It really feels to me like the Yankees had a Sean Murphy or someone plan for catcher, and that plan failed. And so they're just they're just on Plan B right now. Yeah, that's kind of what it feels like to me as well. I think they were hoping after they traded Gary that one of the catchers that could have been on the market was going to shake free, even somebody who's not a full-time catcher. Uh, I wrote earlier this offseason about Luis Terenz, old friend of the New York Yankees mm. who was plucked far too soon. Uh, he's really a part-time catcher now, but I don't think it's obvious that he doesn't have the tools to catch at least some of the time, and he makes a lot of contact and finally is kind of coming to as an offensive threat so as a as somebody who platoons with Kyle Higashioka that sounded interesting to me I think there are guys like that who are available on the market but I agree with you I think they were hoping for a blockbuster style deal for someone like Sean Murphy but I've got to imagine that after the haul that Billy Bean got for um for Matt Olson he's hoping for the same kind of heist or something bigger in return for Sean Murphy yeah I mean Murphy's got some years under control so you know it, it he's not in a rush to trade him the way he was even with Matt Olson or today he traded Shamanaya um so yeah it, it that definitely feels like like probably what we're, what we're going to learn about fairly soon in, 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 in with these trades um I also think it tells you that the Yankees are prioritizing defense. There was a bunch of, of catchers who moved who were much better offensive players, but were not as good defensively as either Roy Vett or especially Trevino. Um, it seems like they, they've, they've just kind of they've pivoted so hard from Gary Sanchez that they're willing to take a big hit on offensive catcher in order to have a really good defensive catcher. And, you know, I, that may not be a bad a bad way to think about it. You know, defensive defensive catcher stats don't capture a lot of what catchers do. And it's entirely possible that the Yankees and other teams have been underrating catcher defense for some time. And even even someone like a Gary Sanchez's stats, when you know, and we, when we measure stats, we measure framing and throwing and blocking and all that. But the the management of a game and 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 kind of the the more intangible things that we know catchers do and we know is important. I wonder if the Yankees have just decided to hard pivot to that stuff. And maybe he's maybe Trevino's worth more than 0.6 wins. Yeah, I think one of the things that people need to realize, the publicly available uh, catcher defensive stats, I think are probably the furthest away 
of the publicly available stats. Yeah. I think they're the furthest away from what teams are using on a day-to-day basis. That and defensive, uh, general defensive stats as well. I think that what's publicly available likely differs significantly from what teams are working with internally because they've got a lot more data that they can feed off of because they can begin to measure some of the things that we consider intangible. So I think that for a long time, the Yankees likely had higher grades internally on some of the things Gary was doing behind the scenes before the offense just sank to a point where they couldn't ignore the big deficiencies anymore. So I think uh, while I initially looked at the catching lineup for the Yankees and had really terrible memories of uh, <laughs> like Chris Stewart and Frankie Cervelli back there, I think it's likely going to be better than that. I still think when you look at the pro- projections for Ben Rorfett, I think it's really interesting that uh, things like fan graphs, zips, depth charts, they all see him as someone who can approach average because of his profile defensively. So if there's any growth in the bat, you can squint and see three war at catcher between Rortvet and Higgy if they're both healthy. So I think it's an interesting way for the Yankees to go. I'm not 100% sold on it, but I also think that if the Yankees get enough bounce back elsewhere in their lineup, which seems relatively likely because this team played about as badly as they could play offensively last year, and they were still a roughly average to slightly below average offense, I think it's okay to give up a spot at catcher in favor of defense. All right, so you mentioned Chris Stewart, so I have to I have to go back to Chris Stewart because I've always I, I have an interesting <laughs> opinion on Chris Stewart. So 2012 and 2013, Chris Stewart was not I guess the primary catcher for the Yankees. Cervelli was there. I think Russell Martin was there for for in 2012, but was oh. played a lot. Right, he got 157 plate appearances in 2012, 340 in 2013. Uh, would you like to guess how many wins above replacement he was worth during that time? During those two seasons? Yes, I I pretty sure i remember this one because i remember i couldn't believe what the number was i think baseball reference he was probably worth close to five yep four and a half wins over those two seasons he he was he saved according to this was this was very early days of framing right so in 2013 he saved according to fan graphs 32 runs in less than half a season, and, and to me that was that was like the that was when we like baseball just figured out that umpires were so bad that someone like Chris Stewart could just clean up and just you know get, be worth a ton and ton of, a ton of runs. And umpires have really narrowed that gap since then. Um, but yeah, yeah. so actually, 32. Jose, I think Jose Molina was around in those days because I remember Jose yeah. Molina kind of being the first among the Yankee catchers to be the framing and blocking guy. And all of us sat there and said, "Why are they keeping Jose Molina around when he hits about a buck thirty? And that's that was why they were at the forefront of catcher catcher framing. So. And and there were also just a lot of really bad catchers. Um, who who were framing during who who were not framing during that time? So there were, there were catchers who were worth minus thirty runs during that period of time, and so there there was just like this huge because there's this huge spread between catchers. The really special ones could stand out so much. Um, I'm looking at Jose uh, Jose Molina's uh, stat line in 2008. Fangraphs has him at plus 45 defensive runs, which is absolutely nuts. Right, it was almost a four win player despite hitting not much at all and not playing a full season. Just just absolutely incredible. Um, so yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I, look, Trevino's not that. And again, the game is caught up to the, to the point where you can't stand out as much. The fan has met 15 runs in part because of, he was a really strong framer, but also basically everything else he does as a catcher rates pretty well. Um, who do you think, let's say the Yankees are making the playoffs in, 
uh, you know, they're, they're, they're uh, let's say they're the number three ranked team in the American League and, and uh, or number four ranked team in the American League, and they're going to go play a, a wild card round, wherever that, that playoff format is, is this September. Who do you think is catching for the Yankees? In well, that first they, playoff game, yeah, if they're in the wild one of the wild card spots, I think it's still a combination of Higashioka and somebody else. If they're in the one or two seed, I think it means they acquired a big time catcher. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm very, very, very interested to watch this position this season. Okay, so we have we have a catcher, uh, we have another we have another relief pitcher. We have two and a half weeks of spring training games down, less than a week left to go, and we have learned a lot. Um, and so I want to ask you, Andy, in these two weeks, you know, the spring training gives some information, but also it's flawed information. We kind of have to read some tea leaves. We can have to look at some players' performances. Uh, tell me about a player, and I think we've talked about the player you're going you're to go first with here. Uh, tell me about a player that uh, you've learned something about this spring training. Yeah, so I want to start by talking about Davey Garcia. So as all of you at home know, Davey Garcia had an absolutely miserable 2020. It's been very clear to those of us who pay attention to pitcher mechanics that the Yankees tried to change Davey Garcia's delivery. And while the Yankees have had some success in helping pitchers alter mechanics to produce different results with velocity and control and spin rates, uh, trying to get Davey to become less rotational caused disastrous results. Davey had almost no control last year. He His fastball was down a half a tick from previous at its max velocity, and he kind of became a slider slinger from a low three-quarters arm slot, and it just didn't look good. Uh, to put it in perspective, I was probably the high man on Davey Garcia before because I wasn't as worried about the body type as other people were. And even I, after ranking him in the top three of Yankee prospects for the last couple of years, I pretty much knocked him out of my top 10 or 15 prospects. I just didn't think he had it anymore, and I was really concerned about uh, his mechanics making a comeback. Fast forward to spring training 2022. Davey Garcia shows up, and I will freely admit that I spent the beginning of spring training in Europe, so it was almost impossible for me to follow spring training. So what did I do? I followed StatCast game logs after the game, and I noticed that Davey Garcia's fastball and curveball were up by two to four miles per hour on average over the course of a game and peaking up close to 97 miles per hour while performing pretty well. So... I, my interest was piqued. So I took a couple of still shots and screenshots of his mechanics from last season and one of his few major league starts against the Tigers, and I compared those mechanics to what he showed this year in his spring training start against the Orioles, and what I found was really interesting. While the Yankees tried to make him less rotational last year, he's back to being very rotational this year. At load, Davey Garcia's back is f- closer to facing center field closer to facing the plate, rather, than it was last season, and his foot is closer to the second base bag as opposed to shortstop like it was last year. On the stride, Davey Garcia, rather than causing his body to rotate, would do what we'd call step in the bucket, and that means his left foot would land outside of the straight line, kind of off to the first base side, and it really led to an all-arm 
pitching motion that didn't allow Davy Garcia to pitch for power, and it meant that he really wasn't using his legs for command. This year, he's back actually across the line, which is causing his body to rotate more. By across the line, I mean left foot lands closer to third base, so he's getting through the baseball better and rotating more with his body. It also means that he's standing taller through his stride, which is leading to Davey Garcia finally be able to get on top of his fastball slider curveball mix better. So he's locating better early on, and on top of that, he's got he's throwing from a higher arm slot, which is adding deception. Fast forward to the finish of his stride, and last year Davey Garcia was finishing up high. He was standing almost straight up as he finished off to the first base side. This year he's finishing through the baseball, so he's generating more power, and on top of that he's moved over to the third base side of the bag, which is creating more deception against righties. When you add up the total package, to me, Davey Garcia is back, and he's back on the map as somebody who can help the Yankees in 2022. I think he's back to being at least the guy that he was before and we just have to see if it holds up in real games but I'm really excited it's not just the metrics I think there are real mechanical changes here to prove that Davey Garcia is a different guy than he was in 2021. Now let me ask you so is he is are his mechanics back to the previous state when when he was a top prospect or is this a third state has he changed them kind of beyond there? Yeah, I think he's actually a little bit more rotational than he was before. I've I've found a few videos from 2019 and 2020, and he looks a little more rotational, although it seemed as though the Yankees were playing with his mechanics in 2020 as well. So it's really hard to know what his natural state of delivery was previously. What the one th- consistent fact that we saw in 2019 and 2020 that was not there in 2021 was rotation so the rotation is back what do you think he what, what do you expect from him this season so he's going into triple i think we're pretty sure about that he's probably going to start uh you know what would his stats have to be on may 1st for you to say david garcia is one of the best five starters the yankees have I want Davey Garcia to dominate a AAA. That's what I want him to show. I want him to prove that he can get through five clean innings a start without a ton of struggle. I want him to be able to use all of his pitches. I want to see him using the curveball more than 5 to 10% of the time because that's his best pitch. He used the slider almost exclusively as his secondary offering last year, and the reality is while the slider's a nice pitch to get guys off of the fastball-curveball combination, his best offering is that high-spin curveball, so I want to see him using that pitch, and statistically, I want to see a guy with an ERA in the low twos while striking out more than a batter in inning while not the big one is I want to see a walk rate under three and a half guys per nine I think he can do it he's done it in the past in the high minors and that's really what I want to see I want to see that he can consistently control the baseball around the strike zone against upper level hitters before I see him in the majors yeah the reason I ask is because um I've been a little skeptical of Garcia kind of ever since he got to AAA in 2019 so he had this amazing season. He starts off in low A, you know, goes up to, to, to double A. He's 20 years old. He's got this killer curveball. He's got insane strikeout rates, field independent pitchings that are just, just off the charts. And then he kind of gets to triple A and the walk rate catches up with him and people start hitting home runs off of him. And that's basically been in him ever since. And I think that's probably why the Yankees tried to aggressively change his mechanics. Um, 
So I'm a little more skeptical than you are, but I just, if he does become that kind of top pitching prospect, it just completely changes the game for the Yankees. Because then all of a sudden we're talking about having a top young starter who, you know, who can contribute on this team when Jordan Montgomery becomes a free agent, when, uh, you know, you start to question what's going to happen with Nestor, Nestor Cortez and all of those guys. Um, so def- definitely worth watching, and, uh, and, and I'm glad you picked that up because I never would have picked up that, that mechanical difference. Um, let's, let me go to mine. So spring training, I always have trouble learning things from spring training because it's really hard to judge performances. So, for example, some players, they go up there and, and they, they will you know self-consciously say for the first couple of games, they're not even really going to try to swing very much. They want to see pitches. They want to just kind of get back into the swing of things, where some players are fighting for a roster spot, and so they're going to be trying much harder, and so it's harder to, harder to tell whether or not those players are – um, are showing something representative about their, their future season. But I, I always like to look at what decisions the teams make. That is, who is getting playing time? Who's getting playing time early in games? Who do this, does the team think is fighting for a spot? Who does the team think um, is somebody who they want to see reps out of? And you know, most of the players this season, this is a shortened spring training, so we have a little less kind of minor league, um, uh, kind of extra minor league player time in those early spring training games. So the guys who are leading the team in, in at-bats are Aaron Hicks, Joey, Gaz, uh, Joey Gallo, Isaiah Conifalefa, Aaron Judge, DJ LeMayhew, etc. Uh, but when you look at the players, they're the secondary players they're giving playing time to. Marwin Gonzalez has gotten a lot of plate appearances, and it looks like he is going to make the team. So I think we can pencil in Marwin Gonzalez as kind of your backup infielder at least for this first month. This first month is going to be weird with 28-man rosters. Um, Ender and Ciarte has gotten a lot of playing time, even though I don't think he's particularly good. Uh, so he seems to be like your not backup outfielder, but your your next outfielder if somebody gets injured. Miguel Andujar has actually played pretty well and has gotten a little bit of playing time, mostly in the outfield. That's interesting. I think that tells you kind of what they think about him. Guys who haven't gotten a lot of playing time, Oswaldo Oswaldo Cabrera, not gotten a whole lot of time on on you know in in real major league spring training. Same with Oswald Peraza. It didn't seem like either were really under consideration uh, on this roster. That doesn't mean that the Yankees don't think they're good, but they definitely don't seem to think that they were real contenders to break camp. Um, with a, uh, on the major league roster this season. Other guys who got less playing time than I think you would expect from top prospects, Everson Pereira, Anthony Volpe, right? Those guys, the Yankees don't seem to think that they are imminent major league players because they only gave them a couple of, of, of kind of half days in the, in the major league camp of spring training. Are there any other players that you've noticed as just kind of playing so much or, or maybe pitchers that you think that the Yankees appear to be auditioning? Yeah, I think the Yankees pretty clearly like Tim Locastro a lot. Uh, he's gotten a fair amount of playing time with starters against other team starting pitchers. I think he functionally adds something different to the team, and I think the Yankees are very serious about using him in that traditional fourth outfielder role to start the year. I think they like him a little bit more than Ender and Ciarte, frankly. Yeah, and they've even been kind of using him in promos. So he's been he's been like there's been like Yankee TikToks with Tim Locastro, which is interesting because. Um, you know, they're treating him like he's a major, a, a permanent member of the team. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a good call. It's going to be interesting to watch LeCastro this season. Um, something else you've learned from spring training? Uh, one of the things that I've learned in spring training, I think that most of us are correct in our assessment of this team, which is I think this is a much more flexible roster 
than it was in previous years. In previous years, the Yankees had the next man up strategy. There was a very clear, defined depth chart. Uh, Brett Gardner was a left fielder or the fourth outfielder who subbed in center field if Aaron Hicks couldn't play. DJ LeMayhew was a second baseman unless otherwise noted. Luke Voigt was the first baseman unless they needed a next man up. And right, right on down the line. This year, it appears that the Yankees are going to let Giancarlo Stanton play the outfield a little more. I don't know how many days a week that's going to be. Maybe it's two or three. But you got to figure that when Giancarlo Stanton plays, it's going to lead to the jumbo outfield at least once or twice the week. A week where Gallo or Judge play center field. It's going to mean Aaron Hicks plays left field occasionally, which should be interesting. I also think that the Yankees are going to manipulate their infield lineup a fair amount. When Isaiah Kiner Falefa gets a break at shortstop, you're going to see Glaber Torres at shortstop again. Uh, I th- also think they can play around with the batting order a fair am- amount. I think there are going to be nights where you see traditional middle of the order hitter Josh Donaldson at leadoff. You're- there are going to be nights where you see DJ LeMahieu leading off. So I think this is a. I think that's a good thing. I think that means that Aaron Boone can finally play some matchups in a way that he really couldn't do in years past. And we saw at Brian Cashman's end of season press conference last year that he was talking about giving. Aaron Boone options off the bench and to manipulate lineups himself. And it seems like the Yankees have done just that. Aaron Boone has tried out a lot of different lineups here in spring training, and I think we'll see any number of combinations when the season starts, and it's really going to come down to how good a manager is Aaron Boone actually at playing the matchup game. I think you're totally right. And and it's not even just kind of like day-to-day matchups, but in the case of contingencies. So you get injury. What do you do? Well, one thing you might do is you might have to play someone in a different position than they're used to, to used to playing. And that's something that, that teams like the Dodgers, uh, the Giants last season, the Rays, they're all really good at just kind of having a good plan B for everything. And I think the Yankees have that improved plan B for everything. I, I honestly don't think we're going to see a lot of judge and center. Um, I think we're just going to see a lot of, you know, players sitting and resting and, and, and coming off the bench. This is not – it's weird for the Yankees to have – a lot of pinch hitting opportunities. Um, the Yankees had Gary Sanchez a catcher for a long time, and they had pretty good hitting catchers in most seasons uh, before he arrived. Which meant that you're never going to hit pinch hit for your catcher. Your backup catcher is always a worse hitter than your 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 starting catcher, and you probably don't have a bench player that good. Well, if Aaron Judge is resting, well, he's going to bat every game, or at least every close game, because there's going to be an opportunity late in the game where Isaiah Conner-Falefa or Kyle Higashioka or Jose Trevino or whoever are up in a key spot, and that guy's going to be there. And if Aaron Judge isn't on the bench, then D.J. LeMayhew is going to be that guy, or both will be on the bench. Um, I, I'm excited kind of for that kind of baseball. We, we've talked for, for years about how this Yankee roster was built so inflexibly that when things go wrong, that they end up starting just awful players, that you end up giving you know, Rugnet Odor 500 play appearances or whatever the hell he got last year. Like That, that to me, is, um, is, a, is a pretty big, pretty big plus. Um, I am concerned that they are now going to give 600 plate appearances to people who aren't very good, right? I, I, I like Isaiah Conner-Falefa. I, I have faith in Isaiah Conner-Falefa. I also wouldn't be shocked if he's just, like just an average shortstop and a very bad hitter, and therefore the Yankees essentially have another Rugnet Odor in their lineup long term. Yeah, and I think that is definitely the downside, and I agree with you. I think there's a the potential that uh, maybe Tim LaCastro doesn't hit enough to make his legs and defense 
combination worthwhile. I think it's possible that Isaiah Kiner-Falefa is closer to average defensively rather than a world beater, as some of the metrics indicate. And it's true. He has some of the posts, some of the lowest exit velocities in all of baseball. So there's a peak to how good his bat can be. The flip side to that is, though, that I think the Yankees have so much potential firepower in this offense that it's almost not going to matter if some of those bit players don't perform up to where we think is possible. I think that good seasons from Gallo, Stanton, and Judge go a long way towards covering up a lot of ills, particularly if there are even modest bounce backs for guys like DJ LeMahieu, Glaber Torres, and Aaron Hicks. So I think there's enough going on in this offense that it's okay if some of those guys don't perform or get a few too many at-bats. And, you know, I just clicked on the Red Sox randomly just to compare, right? What, what, what do they have at the back end of their lineup? And right now they have Jackie Bradley Jr., who's coming off an awful season, and Christian Vasquez, who is a better hitting catcher than any of the guys we're talking about, but not that much better, um, is very much kind of in the kind of like a Shioka world of catching. Um, and then you look at other players in their roster, and, you know, they have a thinner bullpen in the back end. They have a thinner rotation in the back end. So I, I think I think you're right. I think we're just – we've gotten used to nine great hitters over the years just because they were able to go out and find a Gio Ursula or someone like that to, to kind of play that role. Um, so definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, I have another one, and that is that Garrett Cole has a cutter. Uh, that's a little scary. Uh, Garrett Cole – you know, guy who who's lived his his career on you know fastball, slider, curveball, right? This is and changeup, I guess, right? He's he's got he's got a lot of pitches, and a cutter is one of those pitches that I think I'm excited to see Garrett Cole with a cutter in the later stages of his career. This is because the cutter is one of those pitches that almost gets better as it slows down. We saw this with Mariano Rivera for years and Andy Pettit to, to some extent too and CC Sabathia, that as those guys lost velocity, the cutter moved more because that's what, how cutters work, right? They, they, you give it more time to move, it will move more. And so Mariano Rivera was able to essentially you know, like slowly modulate his decline by uh, having more movement on, on, his, on his key pitch. Um, a slider's not like that. A slider moves so slowly that if it doesn't move enough, then all of a sudden you start talking about, or I'm sorry, rather, if it goes too slow, you, you have a, a pitch that's fairly hittable. Um, Garrett Cole's still throwing fast, right? It's, he's not He's not uh, in that kind of decline phase. Um, but I'd love to see Garrett Cole with a 90-mile-per-hour sli- sli- uh, uh, cutter going out there and kind of hitting batters in. That's fascinating. I actually did not know that Garrett Cole yeah. was throwing a cutter this spring because I have not seen any of his starts. So that that is interesting. I also wonder if that means that Cole, after a season of pitching, after half a season of pitching, without any substances on the ball and understanding full yep. well that it may be some time yet before Major League Baseball changes the ball yet again to have a properly tacky surface, that he maybe needs something else in addition to the four-seamer just to get guys off of it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting there because, you know, Cole is one of those guys that you would expect to kind of solve that problem where he's not allowed to glue his fingers to the ball anymore, and so maybe there's some pitches he can't throw anymore. So maybe he throws fewer curveballs or fewer sliders um, and uses the cutter kind of, you know, to get a little bit more movement on the ball where he could. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe this is a replacement for his fastball for all I know. Yeah, um, what's, what's really interesting about that is a lot of guys throw a cutter, particularly guys who already throw a slider, which Cole does. Uh, a lot of guys, the way you throw a slider is you sort of, 
tuck it into your palm a little bit. And to throw a cutter, what most guys do is basically they take that same grip when they're learning to throw it, and they untuck it uh, some. So basically you're gripping it off seam, and it's somewhere between the lack of tuck your four-seamer has and the tuck that your slider has. So basically you alter the velocity and movement profile based on how much you're tucking it into your hand on release. So I'd be... I. I think that's an interesting pitch for Cole because there are times where we've seen him throw a very short slider that's a lot harder and very closely mimics a cutter. So I kind of wonder if that's what he's doing and just altering where he's placing it. Yeah, it's something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, we often see players, you know, pitchers develop pitches in spring training and then not, not deploy them in the regular season. But we also saw, you know, Raldis Chapman uh, develop a, 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 a splitter and, you know, when he was able to to use spider tack uh, and, and use that very effectively uh, out of spring training. So that, that's probably, I think, even like the first start of the regular season, I'll be watching for Garrett Cole's cutter. Andy, what else have you learned from spring training this year? Um, more generally, guys are healthy. I think yeah. that's one of the biggest things. Uh, the Yankees, we've still got a few days to go, so we're not out of the woods yet. Guys are relatively healthy. We had a scare a few days ago with Luis Severino, and I watched his entire start on Saturday, and I came away very, very impressed. I thought he looked gassed at the end of it, so I don't think the endurance is all the way back yet, but the fastball was living at the 96-mile-per-hour mark. The slider was sharp. Uh, the changeup looked good enough to be a third pitch. I'd love to see it back in that 86 to 88-mile-per-hour range again because I think that's where it was best, and it was closer to 91. But I'm really not going to split hairs. I think he looked good enough to be the number two uh guy behind Garrett Cole this season so I'm largely I think this is the healthiest the Yankees have been in a long time yeah you know it's interesting because you you look around you look around baseball you look at the Mets and you just you realize just the nightmare of health that they're in and so far the Yankees have been okay um I do wonder how many Yankees so, so team players were disconnected from their trainers during the lockout but Eric Cressley, Yankees head trainer, also has a private training business, which I'm sure many of the players uh, contracted during the lockout. And so I wonder if the Yankees have like a little bit of a leg up there where they were able to cheat a little bit and they were able to um, uh, they were able to get Eric uh, a little bit of a more training advice to players than than other teams. Because you're right, they they look healthy, they look they they're all throwing hard, they all you know they're, they they all have endurance issues. No one's really going deep into games right now, and they won't probably after the season starts. Um, but for the most part, n- you know, no problems at all so far. Aaron Hicks looks healthy to me. Um, he looks like he's he's lost a lot of weight and he's running a little bit better, so that's good news. Um, I think Glaber Torres looks pretty good to me right now. Uh, you know, I, there's really just no complaints there. Part of that is that guys like Judge and Gallo and Stan, they can take care of themselves, right? Like they are, they, they are naturally, healthy, naturally healthy or have naturally healthy <laughs> habits uh, compared to the rest of us. Um, but yeah, so far, so far, so good. I guess only Rortvet is injured, and he was injured, I think, when they traded for him, and then Domingo Herman. Besides that, you know, pretty good. I, I, I think we underestimate the degree to which health has held the Yankees back for a long time now. Um, They have not had a healthy season, a season where the roster for the most part did not have some, like did not have multiple catastrophic injuries 
since what 2018 i think yeah that that's what i was gonna say i think it's 2018 that was the last healthy severino year john carlo stanton was healthy for the whole season but even in 2018 judge judge was out for most of the season yeah yeah he missed a large chunk of the year so they we really didn't have the bash brothers in the middle of that lineup uh the yankees were counting on greg bird Yeah, um, but so that that was a disaster due to injury before Luke Voigt came along. So th- there were multiple pieces of this lineup that just uh, really haven't been healthy, and I think the Yankees are going to play better by virtue of the fact that they're healthier than they've been in a long time. And to your point regarding uh, off-season training, uh, I too noticed that Aaron Hicks looks a lot leaner than he's looked. He in must have lost thirty pounds. Years. Yeah, it looks pretty close to that. I was kind of worried when I saw a picture of him in January, and he looked very bulky. Not yeah. not fat, just very, very muscular. And I think he was just using that as a way to get himself ready for the season and then lean out uh, prior to spring training. But I think multiple guys look leaner. I think even Judge and Stanton look a hair leaner than they normally do. DJ LeMayhew's always skinny, but guys appear to be in good shape and i know that's just you know an overplayed spring training story every single year but i think it's true in the yankees case and i wonder if we're now now that we're two to two and a half years into the eric cressy training overhaul i wonder if it's starting to pay dividends for guys we've also heard a lot about the emphasis on base running and defense this offseason so i wonder if we're gonna see guys try to steal some more bases try to go first to third a little more often and just generally try to be a little more athletic out on the field and i think that's a that bodes well for guys who have enough raw power to maintain those statistics even if they lost a couple of pounds yeah, the Yankees made more outs on the base paths than any, any other team last season. That wasn't just because they were on base a lot. They actually weren't on base all that much last season. They just they were just bad base runners last season. The Yankees hired a new base running coach whose whose position is titled, I love this, director of speed, uh, <laughs> which is awesome. Uh, so good for him. And yeah, I, I you know I it's mostly the same players. There, there is some change, right? So guys like Isaiah Connor Falefa are more athletic than last year, and having Aaron Hicks. Uh, instead of having the jumbo pack in the outfield, makes it more athletic than last year. Josh Donaldson, you know, probably is about a, about a wash with Gio Ursula. The bench is a little more athletic. Um, you know, having a guy like Tim LaCastro on the team is, is just something they haven't had for a long time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see if, if that really plays out. It, it felt like they wanted to get more nimble. That they they wanted to get one more player who was like a like I don't know a Jose Ramirez or you know not even in terms of play, of like ability but somebody who is an all around player can do a lot of different things as a starter steal some bases run play really good defense hit you know it, it, you know Carlos Correa I think would have been that guy though he's not particularly fast it, it is interesting to me that this team could look very different even though it's not that different. No, it's it's not that different. But again, I think there's more athleticism on this roster than the Yankees have utilized yeah. in rec- recent seasons. And I think that really comes down to training methodology. The Yankees got as big and strong as they possibly could to hit mammoth shots. Hit strikes hard is Dylan Lawson's uh, modus operandi as the hitting coach. But I think the Yankees went too far towards power over everything else and i think we're seeing a shift in the pendulum back to a nice happy medium there so 
I think we can project bounce back from multiple guys this year. Do we? Even if you're not an Aaron Hicks fan, do you really think he's going to hit a buck ninety again? I don't. Aaron Hicks got a three seventy on base, right? That's what he had in twenty twenty. It wasn't that long ago. Three seventy nine in twenty twenty. Um, you know, he's a guy who uh, before last year, every season he had with the Yankees, other than a very injured first season. Um, he was a, a, a well above average player, and at times he was a really excellent player. Uh, to me, defense is the question with Hicks, right? Can he still be a center fielder at his age? Can he reverse kind of the the, the, the slowing down that he showed? Um, let me let me give you one more, and uh, and if you have any more after this, you let me know. But I I have learned this spring training something that I did did not believe going into spring training, and that is I think this is this is the the ten man. St- 10 starting player roster is the final roster. That is, the Yankees are going to go with a bench that includes DJ LeMayu playing some third, some first, some second, and then all of those other guys not playing that time. And I just didn't believe that, right? I After the Isaiah Conifle effort trade was made, my, my reaction, your reaction, the podcast reaction was, oh, there's another trade coming, clearly. Uh, and, you know, as we talked about, maybe that was the intention, but it's it's not coming at this point, I don't think, uh, you know, unless there's a blockbuster with the, with the, the A's kind of still out there, which I don't doesn't seem like is coming at least until the trade deadline. So for now, until the trade deadline, you have 10 starting players, and Aaron Boone is going to have to move those guys around. He's going to have to get, you know, DJ LeMayhew a lot of time at second base. Gleyber Torres is going to spend some time on the bench. Maybe he's spent a little bit of time at short. Um, it's going to be one of the one of those years. Uh, who do you think? What do you think is the opening day roster? Oof, that's a or the toughie. opening day starting lineup. I should say the opening day starting lineup. Uh, I, uh, so so to, to, to help you here, Higashioka at a catcher. That's obvious. Yeah, that's, Isaiah Connor Falefa at short. Obvious. Hicks in center. Judge in right. Gallo in left. Rizzo at first. Rizzo John at first. John DH. Yep. And then I think you'll see Donaldson at third. I think you'll see Torres at second. I think DJ LeMahieu will be on the on the bench. I think that you'll see Trevino on the bench. And I think Tim LaCastro is going to be on the bench. And I think right there that gives us our our twelve guys. If the Yankees really go with a sixteen man pitching pitching staff, yeah, it's going to be weird to have sixteen pitchers and and three bench players. Um, though that said. You know, the pitchers aren't stretched out, so I kind of get it. Like, usually I would be very critical of this, and I, I think that the Yankees should have a four-man bench for most of the season, but I kind of get it for April, you know, while they're stretching guys out. Um, so that so you're thinking, okay, DJ Mayhew is the prime – is going to play a lot, but is the is is going to play all around. Do yeah. you think – who do you think should get more playing time this season, LeMahieu or, or Torres? I think – the Yankees owe it to themselves and to Glaber Torres to give him one more shot to prove that he can be that four-plus win player that it looked so likely that Torres would be in 2019. I think he's hitting the ball to the opposite field a little bit more in spring training. I really like that. Uh, I think he's using his lower half more mechanically. That bodes well. I want to see what Glaber Torres does now that there's no distraction about can he or can't he play shortstop. There's really no distraction. It's go out and play and show us what you can do. And I think the Yankees owe it to him to themselves for a guy with that much raw talent to give him the majority of the playing time early on and see what he does with it. See, I think the opposite. I I, I think I think DJ LeMahieu should get more playing time than Torres. Though Torres will probably get more playing time at second, if that makes sense. Um, you know. I, 
I think Torres should probably, you know, if you, if you have six games a week, I think Torres should probably play in four of them and LeMayu in five. And I, I think the right now, LeMayu, we, all indications are that he's a better hitter. Now, that can change. And so after a month, if you have, you know, if you see that LeMahieu is looking a lot like last year's LeMahieu, maybe he's a little better, but he's not bringing any power back, you know, then I think you can start to think about shifting a little more playing time towards his way and, and kind of turning LeMahieu into something more like a, a, a bench player who plays a lot. Um, but I don't know. I mean, you've got a lot of off days coming up, so it's not like you have to rest guys. And it, it seems to me like you're playing your second best guy at that point. Um Tor, you know, LeMahieu, we don't really know how good LeMahieu's defense is right now. He's been playing around all, the, all over the place. We don't have a lot of eyes on him. We don't, I don't really have a good idea of how good of a third baseman he is. Uh, but I still think he's a pretty good second baseman. And the stats think he's still a pretty good second baseman, or at least a, an average second baseman. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be weird to see LeMahieu get a little bit disrespected. He was the M- second MVP voter, second in MVP voting two years ago. That's not that long ago. And it's not even like a like a Luke Voigt where, yeah, he hit a lot of home runs, but the other stats weren't all that great. I mean, he hit 364 in 2020. He made a ton of contact, and that's absolutely true. And if he bounces back in that way, I think it's a big deal. But I also think that LeMahieu's a guy who would benefit from playing a little bit of, a little bit less. He's true. really he's banged up. Yeah. He's 34. He was really banged up last year. And I think he's a guy that if you keep him fresher, can make that much contact. So if he's getting 500 to 550 plate appearances as opposed to 650 plus plate appearances, maybe he's a guy who's A, more available, and B, performs better on a rate basis. I also like the idea of LeMahieu moving around every day because it allows other guys to have their loads managed, in addition to Glaber Torres. So I think you're going to see a scenario where everybody in that infield plays a little less than they would have in years past just because they all wind up sharing time and with that with speaking of time we are at 50 minutes right now it's been a long podcast we have another podcast coming for you on wednesday night where we will do a full preview of the american league east and um and and kind of the yankee season as a whole andy you're coming back for that episode we'll also have tim on so i hope you all hope you all enjoy that for now everybody have a wonderful rest of your weekend have a wonderful commute if that's when you're listening to this this has been your bronx beat podcast with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.